When we think of summer, we think of snow cones because they close in the winter, right? Right? Uh, but they're open in the summer and in the warmer weather, and we think of, uh, when we think of a snow cone or ice cream, we think of uh, refreshing, right? Refreshing, because they're refreshing. And when you think of summer, you think of ways to be refreshed. And so that's our thought today. And, and the question is, like, for us, what, what do people do to be refreshed, right? Lots of things people do to get refreshed, like, what are some things you do to be refreshed? Shout it out. Swim, good. Take a shower, Take a shower. <laughs> okay, good. Time with family. Time with family, okay, good. Refreshing. Good. Take a nap, maybe. Massage. Meditate. <laughs> Meditate. Okay. Huh? Take a walk. Take a walk. <laughs> Take a walk. Are you telling me? Talk about. Okay. Take a walk. Take a walk. Go for a hike. Go to the mountains. Go to the beach. Swim. Get somewhere where it's cool, right? A lot of people do lots of things when it's when it's hot. And in the summer, to be refreshed. And that's what we're thinking about, refreshed. Uh, Proverbs chapter 25, 13 says, like, a cold, like the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so think about that, snow in harvest time, is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his master. So snow, you know, you think of snow, you think of uh, refreshing, right? And if you uh, live in Buffalo, you are refreshed more than you want to be. That's how that works. So refreshing. And we're in Acts chapter 3, and there's this, this event that happens in Acts 3 that we're going to kind of march through uh, in Acts 3. Peter and John are at the temple, and uh, they have this encounter uh, with a guy and, um, and then with the people. And there's some really cool things that come out of this about being refreshed. So we're in chapter 3 of Acts, verse 1. There we go. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. Three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Okay, so we got the picture, Peter and John going to the temple. There's this guy that usually put there to beg. It's, it's this time in the afternoon when the Jews are coming to the temple to pray. And so there's lots of people there. And there's this guy and he sees Peter and John and he asks them for money. Now, is money the most important thing this guy needs? No, but he asks for money. Peter looks straight at him and as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Isn't that right? Isn't that how it works? You go to Walmart, and there's the guy with the sign. Right? They kind of change positions, if you notice, around town. But there they are with the sign, and they're asking for something. Or they, or they come to your car in the parking lot now, right? And they come right up to you. You got a few dollars I can have. Key, right? Wanting money. People normally want it's money, 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 right? So note about these uh, first five verses. This it's a time of prayer. It's three o'clock. It's a Jewish custom that they go to the temple to pray at three o'clock in the afternoon, right? Three times a day. And we talked not long ago about well, when when is the time for prayer? All right, on all occasions, anywhere. Do we have to be in a specific spot, facing a certain direction? Absolutely no. 
Okay, but in that day, they did. They thought these were part of prayer customs, that you had to do it in a certain way at a certain time. And some of that has overflown into the church today that we think we have to have certain things at a certain time and do it at a certain way. And if we don't, then we're like, we're not doing it the biblical way. And that's just not true. Okay? So three in the afternoon, this guy's going to pray. Peter and John are there to pray. And they're there for something different. This guy's there this guy's there to beg. The Jews are coming to pray. And Peter and John are coming for a whole different reason, right? They have something different on their mind. What's on their mind is the kingdom of God. And they know, they know that there's going to be lots of people in this place at this time. And so they're going, and I think they're going with this sense of, God, how do you want to use us right now? Maybe they, uh, they didn't know there was going to be a guy begging there that was going to ask them this question. They just went to the temple saying, God, we're going because people are gathered and that's where we should be. And, and we just need, we just want you to use us somehow, however you want. Just lead us to somebody who might need you. And that's exactly what happens. They didn't know who. They just went. Like, isn't that so cool? Like when you put yourself out there and you just go do things. You just go on a mission trip, or you just go serve at, at some apartment complex, and you just serve kids, or you serve people, or you go and read at Grove Park, or whatever it is you do, you just go, and you just put yourself in a position where God can use you in a way that you never thought he would. That's, that's what we do. That's what we should do. Keith, you're going on the mission field. Do you have any idea where you're going and what's going to happen? No, you don't, and you probably won't. You might know some of it, like where you... Huh? Yeah, it would scare you if you knew, right? God's not going to tell you all that. But you're going to go, and things are going to happen that you never could ever dream would happen, right? Good and bad, probably, right? That's what's scary, right? But, but that's what happens when we put ourselves out there, and we get out there, and that's what they're doing. They're going out there, and there's this lame man, and he's begging. But he's a smart guy because he has his people put him there when what? When there's lots of people coming to the temple so that he can beg them for money right? You don't see the guy out at Walmart at three in the morning. Why? Because nobody's coming by. He's out there at the heat of the day in the afternoon when lots of people are, are pulling up to that, that stop sign, that stoplight right there, right? Right? Why? Because they need money. This day was going to be different for this guy, though. He's going to the temple. He thinks he's just going to beg and ask for money, but something's going to happen today that's going to be something that he could never imagine, God, God is going to say, now is the time for something different to happen. And that, that alone is really important because a lot of times we, we do things, we serve the Lord, we teach Sunday school class, we teach kids, we do things, and we, we just are faithful at doing that. And if we're faithful at just doing that, God is, God is going to say one day, this day, is going to be different than all the years you've been doing this. Something is going to happen at this appointed time that you have been, you have been moving toward and you didn't even know it. And God is going to say, now. And, 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 and you and I need to be in the right place, right? 
faithfully just serving the Lord because one day when he's ready, when he brings things together, it's going to happen. Something different, something big will happen. And so this was the day for this guy, right? Peter and John are going to come walking by and something's going to happen for him that has never happened for him. And so the man, he's focused on Peter and John and he's looking at them, right? Because he's asked them for money and he's waiting to get something. Right? He's waiting to get something from them. He's waiting to get money. That's what he wants, some coinage. Right? Give me some coinage. And here's what happens. Peter and John say, look at us. Right? Look at us. Now, that can go a couple ways. One, like, look at us. Do we look like we have money? Right? Like, we're wearing rags here. Do we look like we got anything we can give you? Okay? It could go like that. Or it could go like, look at us. Lean in. We're about to rock. God's about to rock your world. Like, God's about to do something, and you're not going to want to miss it. Like, pay attention. Like, look at us. Like, give us your attention. And Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. Now, for a minute, this is, an, this is like a bummer moment for this guy, right? This is an oh bummer, man. He's not going to give us money. They're not going to give us silver. They're not going to give us gold. He's not going to give us... Like, this guy wants money. And Peter just said, silver gold, I don't have. And so for this guy, it's like, well, this stinks. Next, get out of my way. I need somebody else who might have some money, right? Because money, money solves all our problems, right? Money is the answer to everything, right? Just throw some money at it, right? Money, money, silver and gold. That's what we need. Money, more money, more money. Solve all of our issues, right? Well, check this out. There are so many people, and I'm going to share a few of these names with you, so many people who have gone from, from riches to rags very quickly. And I'm not talking about people who had just a little bit of money. These are people who had millions and billions of dollars who lost everything. And you may know some of their names. Here's a few from rags to riches selling her own home because she had to pay off her debt, Pamela Anderson. Stephen Baldwin, after bouts with drugs and substance abuse, ended up having to file bankruptcy in 2009. Gary Buss filed bankruptcy. Gary Coleman, remember the little guy, different strokes? <laughs> if you don't remember him, you're too young. Uh, he died in 2010 about broke. MC Hammer filed bankruptcy. Mike Tyson from $400 million to bankruptcy in 2003. I mean, these are people who had all the money you could ever, ever want. Like most of us, we sit around and we go, man, if I just had, like, if I just had, you know, $100,000, I could pay off all my debt. You know, maybe a little more because we have a house. So, okay, $200,000, I could pay off all my debt, and life would be just, like, wonderful, right? Right, that's what we think. Come on, I'm not the only one up here. Right, uh, Alberto uh, Villar was a co-founder of uh, Amarindo. He was a billionaire in 1979. When the, star the stock market crashed in 2000, he lost everything. Later was convicted of money laundering and investment fraud. Uh, Sean Quinn, 2008, richest person in Ireland, $6 billion he was worth. 2011, filed bankruptcy. Things spiraled out of control uh, from there, and Quinn was declared completely bankrupt in 2012 and ended up in jail. Riches, talking about money, money, right? There's this guy, and he's sitting there at the, the temple gate, and he says, he's, he's begging for money. 
And Peter says, silver and gold I don't have. Why? Because that's really not what you need. Right? That's not what you need at all. And there's so many other names I can mention. Peter Duff. Uh, these are people who had lots of money, but it didn't make them happy. And you've got to ask the question, like, why? Why didn't it make them happy? People, people like this. Peter Duff, at age 30, was a billionaire. Uh, Howard Worthington, age 52, was a multimillionaire. Michael Marin, was age 53, was a millionaire. Eli M. Black, Millionaire businessman Jonathan Wraith was uh, age 35, one of the youngest millionaires. Paul Castle, age 54. All these billionaire millionaires committed suicide. Ended their own lives in different ways, weird ways, crazy ways. Add to the list Chris Lightney, who was a music in, in the music industry. Jovan uh, Belcher was a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, um, Tony Scott was a filmmaker. He made, helped make the movie Top Gun. Freddie uh, Prinze starred in the show Chico and the Man. Remember that show? And Ray Combs hosted Family Feud. All these guys committed suicide, ended their life as well. Rich people, from athletes to rock stars to businessmen to producers to, to all kinds of people who had everything that you and I, in the back of our mind, think we need. Had everything that this guy thinks he needs. He's just a beggar, he's lame, he's been crippled from birth, and he thinks that all, what he, all, all that he really needs is some money. Just give me money, get me through the next day. Money, money. See, not all refreshing, uh, not all refreshing is good for us. We think we'll be refreshed if we have enough money. We can go on uh, trips and we can go on vacations, right? But what's happened is we've been lied to. We've been lied to. The enemy has told us that if you have money or if you have stuff or if you have things, you're going to be happy, right? You're going to be refreshed. You're going to feel good about your life, right? Check this out. In, in, um, so in uh, Japan, the latest tsunami hit and it, it, uh, it injured like 40 different people. 40 different people, okay? We hear about these tsunamis, and the, 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 the thing about this tsunami was different than any other tsunami is this. Check out the picture. It happened at a water park. So the wave machine made a wave bigger than it was supposed to make. You know, you've been at those water parks, right? You guys? And you're sitting there just enjoying the, uh, the wave feeling of the waves. And the machine made this huge wave, and it just blew all the people back onto the concrete. Forty people get hurt. And what were they doing there? They were there just trying to be refreshed. Not all refreshing is good for us, right? Not all refreshing. The stuff we think we need, we don't need. People look to money for their answers, right? They look to money for the refreshing. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says this, What, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul. Like, what good is it if you have all the money in the world like the people I just mentioned? More money than they could ever spend. Zion, already, like a million, million, millionaire, hasn't even played one game in the NBA. But if he gets hurt at practice, he's done. Where will the money get you when it's gone? Where will the money get you when you can't spend it? In verse 6, it continues, In the name of Jesus Christ, Peter says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I'll give to you. See, that's the coolest thing about all of this, is that you may not be a millionaire today. I'm not even close. I'm not even the M in millionaire. And that's okay, because what we do have is worth way more than that. 
what we have in the Lord, what we have in Christ, what we have, the hope that we have of eternal life that money cannot buy, you have that. So you are way better off than any billionaire on the planet. You are richer than anyone else in the world because you have Christ in your life. And he says, silver and gold, I do not have what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. How cool is that, right? I mean, that is insane. This is the guy that everybody knew that sat at that, that gate and they got, he had to get brought in by his friends and he laid there begging people, holding up his sign, money, change, anything you can give me, I'll take. And there's no doubt this man had given up all hope of ever walking again. He never walked to begin with. He was born this way. So he had never experienced walking like you and I just take for granted every day. He never experienced that. He never dreamed in any way, shape, or form that he would ever stand up like a normal human being and put one foot in front of the other and walk like a normal person. Never even thought of that would ever happen. And so he has been reduced to asking for money and just asking like for a handout as his only hope, as his only chance at any kind of life. And Peter and John, they do three things in, chapter, in verse 7. Look at it. Verse 70, they do three things. The first thing they do is they reach down and they take him. They reach down to the man and they, they, take, they take time to notice the guy. That's what they do. They stop and they reach down to the man, right? They have a conversation with this guy who's down and out and he doesn't have any hope. And he's begging for money. I mean, you know how low that, you have, that has to be to get to a point where you have to stand on a corner and ask people to help you. I mean, that, that has got to be like right, one of the most like, humbling, humiliating things to have to do. I'm not talking about the con artists out there that do it and probably make more money than most of us in big cities. I'm talking about people who are truly down and need help, and they have it nowhere else. They have no family. They have no friends. They have to ask complete strangers for something. Well, this time, Peter and John, they stop, and they reach down, and they take the time to him. And the second thing they do is they touch him. They grab the man's hand. They grab his hand. They touch the man. That's not what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to kind of walk around like the Levite and the priest. You go around the other side. You stay away from that unclean person. But not Peter and John. They don't care about religious stuff. They reach down and they, they touch the man. They grab him by the right hand. And the third thing they do is they help him up, right? Like Peter and John, this guy's probably wondering, whoa, I can't stand. I've never walked. I can't do it. My ankles, look at them. They're not straight. I can't stand up. Why are you standing me up? And they assist the man to his feet. 
Just like that good Samaritan did, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing, like looking for people to help and reaching down and helping them up and leading them to Christ. And what happens is instantly his feet and his ankles are made strong. He's healed. Instantly, in the, in the midst of them reaching down, taking the time, helping him up, his ankles are healed. And he's completely straight, and instantly he begins to jump up and walk around. Now that's bizarre, right? Because he has never done this before. He's seen other people do this. He's seen kids running around, jumping, probably people making fun of him doing that. But he himself personally has never experienced what it's like to stand up and walk, let alone jump. I got a bad knee. I'm not about to jump. I hope I will be able to in a month or two, but... um, I I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't even attempt to run out of this room because it would kill my knee. But this guy, he's jumping and he's walking around and he's excited because he's doing something that he has never done and he had no idea this was going to happen today. He thought he was just going to be humbly begging for money and what he gets is so, so much more, right? He gets an opportunity. He gets an opportunity. He was lame from birth, and he never did this before. And then he gets really crazy, and he's walking around, and he's jumping around, and he's praising God, right? Because the Lord had touched his life, and he just could not keep that in. That's what happens when the Lord touches your life, right? Right? When the Lord touches your life, you can't keep it in, right? Am I right? you got to tell people. You got to go share that, right? You look for opportunities. You might even create or make opportunities to say something about what God has done in your life. I hope you do, right? Because if it's happened to you, if God has touched your life, then that's what you'll do because you want the Lord to touch other people's life. Verse 9, all the people saw him, so they recognized who he was, that this is the lame beggar that used to sit there, you know, every week or every day, as long as he did, begging for money. They were the ones who walked around to avoid him. They were filled with wonder, and they were filled with amazement at what had happened to him. You know, I wonder about us. Uh, does, anybody wonder, does anybody wonder what has happened to you since you met the Lord or since you gave your life to Christ? Does anybody look at you and go, boy, that's a life that's totally different than it used to be? I hope so. I hope that, that there's such a change in your life that your family or your friends that you used to hang out with, that now you're, le- you're loving and serving the Lord and they're looking at you like, man, what happened to you? <laughs> I gave my life to the Lord. That's what happened to me. Right? I'm not going to live for myself and for sin and pleasure anymore. I'm, li- I'm living for the Lord. And they see a change in you. They see a difference in you. You're no longer the same person. That's what happened to this guy. Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So God now has their attention, right? Mission accomplished. God has used Peter and John. God has healed this lame man. And all the people now are wondering what is going on. God has their attention and opportunity now has been presented. What will happen next is the question, right? Right, Because God does that for you, right? And me, he gives us opportunities, and then we have to step into them, right? We have to take advantage of those. We have to not waste the moment. Seize it, right? That's what we would do. 
God presents opportunities. We put ourselves in places where he can do that, and it comes. Like, I can't tell you how many times in Haiti or in Mexico, we would just go out into the streets and walk the streets, just talking to people, using translators, and, and God would just provide opportunities to share the love of Christ or to pray with people or to, to touch them in some special way or to meet a need. But that would never happen if we didn't go there and just walk and trust God that he would do something great. And that's what God's looking for. And Peter and John, they're not going to waste this opportunity. You can be sure of that. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, the people wondering what's going on, God had their attention. When, they, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? In other words, we had nothing to do with this. God did all this. God is the one who gets the credit for everything that you're seeing right now. See, but the thing is, they know who these people are. These are Jews. They know their audience. And Peter says, fellow Israelites, right? Then they're not going to let them off the hook, right? That's the thing about it is, is and, and, and this is almost shocking because Pete, you know, God's got their attention. They come and they, they want to know what's going on. And Peter could have said, oh, you guys, you know, you're, you're good guys. Just, just turn your lives over to the Lord and all will be well. And just handle it like, like, you know, wimpy. But he doesn't do that. I mean, watch what Peter does here in uh, verse 13. He, he basically points his finger at them and accuses them of killing God. Well, we wouldn't do that, right? We wouldn't be like, you sinner, you know that, you know, we wouldn't be sitting at Starbucks and somebody comes up to you and goes, are you reading the Bible? Yes, you sinner, your sins put Jesus on the cross. You know, we wouldn't do that, right? We would just never do that. I mean, we'd be like, whoa. They'd be like backing away, probably throwing their coffee at our face. But that's what Peter does. Look what he says, verse 13. They, they, they're, they're interested. They stare at them, and, 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 and Peter says, you know, we didn't do this on our own. And then he says, the God of Abraham. In other words, the God that you claim to worship, Jews, right? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that you say you follow, the God of your father, our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. Okay, don't leave that out. God put his hand of approval and stamp on Jesus. Jesus came, and look what he says. You, look at all the yous here. You, it's like he's pointing his finger at them. You handed Jesus over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and the righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be released, remember, to you. To you. And you, verse 15, you killed the author of life. Peter does not let them off the hook, does he? I mean, he's like, they're wondering what's going on. Why is this guy healed? And Peter's like, God did that through Jesus, the one you killed, remember? Wow, that's just intense because I don't think I'd be like that. But there's Peter, you, 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 right? The God, God the Father sent his only son. And what did you do? You ignored him. You rejected him. You disowned him. In fact, you killed him. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And this is a tough truth, right? This is one that all of us have to face, that I am guilty too. I'm guilty. My sin, Jesus died for. I'm just as guilty as them. I'm just as guilty as they are. I don't know about you, but I am. And then the but comes. It's 
See, the but of good news. This is the but that we want to hear. This is the but that everyone needs to know about. Because yes, I killed the author of life by my sin, but the good news is that God raised him from the dead. Look at the verse. We are witnesses, Peter says. We're witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man, this lame man, whom you see and know was made strong. It's because of Jesus that you killed, that he's healed. It is the name of Jesus and, and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed this man that you can all see. It's undeniable. Unarguable. Here's the guy You've seen him every day begging. His legs have been crooked. And now he's standing here with us, jumping around, praising God and walking all over the place. And you don't know how it happened. And I'm telling you now how it happened. And you killed the guy who did this. You killed the Lord, the Messiah who did this. So, okay, you played, basically. You played right into the devil's hands. Yes, you were used as pawns in the battle of spiritual warfare, right? That's what happened, really right? Evil overpowered you and you acted selfishly and you acted sinfully. And that's all behind us. What are you going to do next? What will you do now? That's the question Peter's laying on them is, what are you going to do next? What will you do next? What will you do next? What will I do next? What will I do next, right? In my walk with Jesus, in my walk with God, what will I do next? Because that's what matters most. Not what I did, not my past sin, but what I'm going to do next. In verse 17, now fellow Israelites, I know, Peter, look what Peter says, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets saying that the Messiah would suffer. So you were used as a pawn. God's plan was set in motion and you as people did what came natural, just like all of us. You did what you were led to do by your, your nature, your sinful nature. And there is hope, Peter is saying, there is hope for you even though you killed the author of life. There's still hope for you. Can you imagine that? You killed the Son of God and there's still hope for you. And here it is, verse 19, he says, here's what you need to do next. Repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Even the sin of nailing the Son of God to the cross may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He says, repent. Repent. What does that mean? It means to change. It means to turn from your ways and turn to God and begin moving and living your life for the Lord. Repent from your sinful ways in your mind, in your heart, in your behavior. Change. Turn. Stop doing what you're doing. It's sinful. And turn to God. And then he says, turn to God. And that simply means this. You need to be converted. You need to be born again. You need to be renewed. You need to flee from your sinful ways and turn from your life and turn to God and walk with him. That's what you need to do. Repent and turn. That's what you do. So your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord in spite of all that you have done and all that I have done, my long list of sin. In spite of all of that sin, God says, repent and turn and come to me. 
and I will blot it out. I will wipe it all out. And times of refreshing will come to you. It can still come. There's the source of this refreshing, like a spring of cold water, is from the Lord. It's God's gift to you. The one that we crucified says, I will refresh you. You repent. You turn to God. And he will unload a boatload of grace all over you. So you can experience God again, right? That's what Peter's saying. You can experience God again. Can you imagine the scene as they're standing there and and this guy's healed and Peter is like, Peter and John are standing there and God just used them to do something mighty and now God wants to use them to speak to the crowd and the people are wondering who did this and why did this happen? And Peter points to them and says, you killed Jesus. Remember him not long ago? You killed him. But don't worry about that. What matters most is what happens next. And if you'll turn to him, you can experience God. God will come back into your life. He will forgive you of all your sins. He will blot them out, forgive them, pardon them. You're invited back into his presence. That's good news if you're them, right? I mean, if you're the one Peter's pointing at saying, you murdered, you killed the author of life the one who created everything. You nailed him to a cross. Do you remember that? And they're like, yeah, we sure did. We're guilty. And then he says, but you know what? God loves you so much, more than you'll ever know. He loves you so much. He'll forgive you of even that. He'll forgive you and me of even that. We're invited. We are like this this invitation back into his presence, even though we have messed up bad. But you must turn And you must repent. There's no refreshing if you don't turn and repent. You can't keep living it your way and expect the blessings of God. It doesn't happen that way. We get them when we turn to God and we repent of our sin and we move in his direction. Peter adds in verse 21, Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. See, that day is coming. God's going to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from the people. See, I think all of us, I think all of us, we we want to be like fresh, and I think we want to stay fresh, and I think we want to be refreshed, and we want to live our lives, I think we do, I hope we do, in this constant state of being refreshed, right? We want to just stay fresh with life as life comes our way, right? No matter if you're 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever, as you grow, you just want to stay fresh in the season that you are, right? That's what we want. And that's a constant battle to stay fresh because naturally what happens is we want to be stagnant. See, stagnation just happens without trying. Like my swimming pool, right? Like you got a swimming pool. If you don't clean it like weekly, it's getting green and it's getting gross and you'll not get in it. How many of you can understand what I'm saying? Like if you go to a pool and it's like not looking good, you aren't jumping in. It's gross. Well, that just happens naturally. That happens when we don't do anything. We just sit in a pew. We just sit around and we don't do anything. We just take, 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 take. Me, 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 me. Stagnant. That's what happens. We begin to die spiritually. See, 
being fresh, staying refreshed is from the Lord, but it takes engagement. It takes us moving toward him, staying with him, walking with him, following him, putting ourselves in positions where he can use us to do great things and new things and things we never thought he would do. See, God's word is, or Jeremiah said, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. That's what Jeremiah said. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. So maybe what we need today is to say, God, refresh me, pour into me a new attitude, that one that will, that will take me out of here and, and help me to move, to do, to go, and do what it is you want. God's word says, be refreshed. And that means, that means the word really means a recovery of breath. In other words, you are dying and you need refreshed. You need like a new breath of life in you. To be refreshed means you are like on your back and we're about to bring the paddles in to shock you back into life so that you, you are breathing normally again. To be refreshed, that's what it means. To have a, a, a new sense of life, a recovery of breath. Some of us need this. Here's some quick truth about being refreshed. Number one, here we go, four quick things. Number one, refreshing is only available through Jesus. You can't be refreshed outside of Jesus. You can go after money, you can go after career, you can go after job, you can have all, you can have all the kids that the Duggars have. That is not going to refresh you, it's only going to wear you out. Right? Especially the Duggar thing. Right? You know, I don't know how many kids they got, but it's crazy. Refreshing is only available through Jesus. It's God's Son. He's the only way. There's no other name, no other religion, no other faith, no other teaching that you will be saved. There's no other, there's no other fountain that you can go to to be refreshed. I don't care how cool the water is. Number two, refreshing comes once you repent and turn to God. That's when it comes. Salvation, salvation is a free gift of God. We enter through grace. It's God's gift to you. You can do nothing to earn it. You did nothing to bring it about. He did it because he loves us. He first loved us. Jesus provides salvation. But we must respond to that salvation in faith and in obedience. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The refreshing only comes when we turn and move to God. Number three, the refreshing is being washed in Jesus. When you are washed in Jesus, you are refreshed. In the watery grave of baptism, sins forgiven, Holy Spirit given. And here's the cool thing. The previous chapter, chapter two, right? Peter's first sermon. He said, when they said, what must we do? He said, what did he say? We all know it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, right? For the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they understood that. These Jews understood what it meant to turn to God. And so when Peter says, turn to the Lord, repent of your sins, they understood that this meant be washed in Christ, to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. They understood what that meant. They understood what it included. And they knew what they needed to do if they wanted to come to Christ. And number four, refreshing is forever. Refreshing is forever. This is not a temporary refreshing where you just feel good for a couple days and then back to work, and now you feel like, like heavy again and depressed again and over, over like whelmed again. This refreshing is the refreshing of your soul, like your spirit is refreshed. And no matter what is happening outside, it doesn't change the refreshing of God's eternal promises for your soul. And this refreshing is forever. It's eternal. Some things refresh us just for a little while, like a snow cone or a vacation. But this refreshing that comes from the Lord that Peter just preached 
is forever. Jesus refreshes you now and forever. Forever. Acts 3, 19 and 20, here's what it says. Repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, and we need that. So that times of refreshing may come from the Lord because you're not going to find it on the earth. It's not here. It has to come from above. That's the only refreshing that will matter. That's the only refreshing that will really refresh you forever and permanently. And so the question is, are you refreshed? Are you refreshed? Would you bow your heads with me for a, for a minute? Just take some time. Just take a few, a minute or so and just, just seek your own heart about this. This, this refreshing that, that comes from the Lord. And ask yourself, just ask yourself right now, have I, have I turned to God? Have I repented of my sins? Have I been washed clean? Have I been immersed into Jesus? And if not, don't put it off. Don't wait. Don't let anything stop you or slow you down from doing whatever God is calling you to do next. Because I can guarantee you, if you'll take that step, he's got a lot more in store for you. Things that you could never imagine. But when they happen, you'll be so amazed. Filled with wonder that God can do what he can do in you. But it begins with that first step. Repenting and turning to God being washed clean.